Well, we're chasing everybody away. Invite your friends. <laughs> We've got plenty of room for those who would love to endure 70 minutes of straight lecture with no questions. Come one, come all. Okay, Larry's given me some housekeeping things, and I'll just remind you, yes, I know the Cowboys played this afternoon. The game may still be going on, I don't know, but some of us have it DVR'd, and so we don't talk about the score, at least anywhere that I can hear it. You can talk about it out there all you want. Audio files of the class are posted on iTunes. Now, those are the... Eight-year-old ones, right? On iTunes. So if you type in my name, it comes up right after Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, and then Bill. So you have to type in Christ Chapel Bible Church, and then Old Testament, okay. Okay, so there are, there are audio files on iTunes, no handouts, just audio, and both the audio and the handout are on the Christ Chapel website, which is a link at the end of each lesson on the handout. Item two, only new people need sign up for the email list. If you've already signed up once, but you're not getting the email, let us know. But you only have to sign up once. You may not receive an email this coming Friday because the church is changing from one database software to another. And depending on how well that goes, you may not get an email this coming Friday. I'm optimistic you will, but my IT department is somewhat less optimistic. They're called realists. I don't like them. If you need childcare, don't forget to email Anna Cottle. Tip, do that when you see the email on Fridays, except for this Friday, because you may not get an email. And if you're having name tag printing trouble, we're sorry. Hopefully, our new software will take care of the problem. Um, if not, come see us. We'll continue to work on that. Okay, anything else, honey? All right. That means it's to me. Let me pray. And uh, we've only got a few chapters tonight. I bet we'll still be out late. Okay, well, let me pray for us. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Uh, your word is truth. Uh, I pray that your spirit would be our teacher. Take what is yours and make it ours tonight. I pray for that, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's see. We are talking about Genesis, the family tree of faith. Remember what I've suggested to you is that Moses is answering a question that the children of Israel are standing on the east side of the Jordan River and they're asking the question, how do we get here? We're about ready, the second generation is about ready to go over the Jordan into the promised land. They're asking the question, how did we get here? Moses then says, let me tell you, in the beginning, and he starts telling them how they got to this point. And so Moses goes to great trouble to trace Adam to Noah to Shem to Abraham so that the people would know their roots, their lineage, and God's covenant. Big, big person in the whole Bible is Abraham. Abraham, as we've learned and we walked through his life last week, he's a model of walking with God by faith. He's received an eternal covenant from God called the Abrahamic covenant, cleverly enough. He has a habit of taking matters into his own hands, yet he started late and finished great. 
Abraham is a real model uh, for us in the scriptures. His last, his last thoughts, his last actions that are recorded are about getting his son a wife uh, and making sure that he's set up for his family, making sure his family's taken care of. Uh, what a, he's really a great model, Abraham. So whatever became of, as we're walking through the book outline, it's whatever became of, whatever became of Terah. Well, Abraham became of Terah. We finish up the Abraham story. Next, chapter 25, beginning in verse 12, we see another, uh, another little chapter heading where it says, 25, chap- uh, chapter 25, verse 12, this is the account of the family of Ishmael. And so what Moses does is he's got the family tree of faith. That's what he's tracing. But every once in a while, there's a little branch that comes off and you say, Whatever happened to Ishmael? We learned, we're going to learn what happens to Isaac because he's in the family tree of faith, but whatever happened to Ishmael? And so Moses will include a little paragraph or so about the unchosen line. Okay? So we learn about Ishmael, but then Isaac comes on the scene, and you're thinking, huh, wonder whatever happened to Ishmael. Well, here's what happened to Ishmael. He has 12 sons. They became the founders of 12 tribes named after them. Uh, Ishmael lives for 137 years. He, he's all over a particular geographic location. And there they lived in open hostility toward all their relatives. <laughs> That's something you wouldn't want to hear in your eulogy. If I were doing your eulogy and say, and he lived in open hostility against all of his relatives. That's uh, the last word we have, basically, on Ishmael. Then chapter 25, verse 19, we begin another chapter. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. So, whatever became of Isaac, whatever becomes of Isaac. And that's chapter 25 through chapter 35. We're going to do chapter 25, 26, and 27 uh, tonight. And then, really, the story of Jacob picks up after a few chapters on Isaac. So tonight is Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, a son according to promise. Remember, Paul uses Isaac to illustrate the son of promise versus the son of the flesh in Galatians, chapters 3 through 5. And you say, huh, what is Paul talking about? Here it is, talking about Isaac. He begins with the great, adva- great advantages and great faith. Like Abraham, he's a man of faith and fear. And he's also a warning against spiritual complacency, which I'll flesh out as we go along the way. So tonight is the life and times of Isaac. Just three chapters, 25, 26, and 27, even though he lives the longest of all the patriarchs, um, he, there's few chapters written about Isaac compared with Abraham and Jacob. Hmm. Interesting. Perhaps there's a reason that we'll see tonight. Here's the lesson for tonight. If you get nothing else from tonight, great beginnings don't guarantee great endings. Great beginnings don't guarantee Great endings. Let's take a look. We're going to fly about 50,000 feet over Isaac's life here. and I'm going to note several different things about him that I think will be instructive. First, he's a man of faith. Now, this is what we, a little bit of what we covered quickly last week. Chapter 22. This is the story of God testing Abraham's faith by taking Isaac up on Mount Moriah. Remember chapter 22? Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. 
go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Can you imagine being Abraham? Now, wait a minute, Lord. (laughs) I've waited 25 years for the child of promise, the child you promised to me. And here he is. And now you want me to do what? You want me to take him up to Mount Moriah and you want me to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. If I were Abraham, I would have had a few questions between, between verse 2 and verse 3. Look at Abraham. What a man of faith. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. You have to remember, um, Isaac this time is probably about 20. Why is that important? Because if he would have wanted to, a 20-year-old man could probably take down a 150-year-old man. And yet, what did Isaac do? Can you, I mean, can you imagine, Abraham? Uh, okay, son, now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tie you up. And then I'm going to lay you down on this wood. Uh, And then I'm going to take this knife and I'm going to sacrifice you. And Isaac, all this time, trusts his father and trusts God. This This is amazing. The trust that both of them have, not only in each other, but in God. You know the story. Abraham goes to do it and God says, don't do it. And, uh, they, and then God provides a ram, and they sacrifice the ram. Uh, and that's sort of the end of the story. Interestingly enough, depending on your translation, the New Living Translation actually, in my opinion, gets it wrong right here. Verse 19, the New Living Translation says, Then they return to the servants. That's not what it says. In verse 19 of chapter 22, Abraham returns to the servants. And in a sense, in the story, Isaac is left behind. We don't pick up again with the Isaac story until chapter 24 um, when, let's see, so chapter 22, he's obedient to his father, obedient even unto death if required. Chapter 24 He trusts his father for a suitable bride. And so the next time we catch up with Isaac, he's waiting for the bride that his father has called for or sent for. Uh, Pretty interesting little pictures here. Now, first, what does this mean? I need you to get something very clear. What it means in the text is there was a man, Abraham, and he had a son, Isaac, and they went up on this mountain, and all these things really happened just like this. But there's a neat little picture here of Father God being Abraham and Isaac being the Lord Jesus. Isaac is an only son whom the Father loves. And the father says, you're going to climb Mount Moriah and I'm going to put the wood on your back and you will be sacrificed up there. And how does Abraham reason that God is going to bring all this to pass? 
because Isaac will be resurrected, we learn from the writer of Hebrews. And so Abraham, in a sense, it says in Hebrews, receives his son back by resurrection. (laughs) Abraham goes back. Oh, by the way, how many servants go with Abraham? Interesting, huh? Two servants go with Abraham. Uh, In verse 19 of 22, Abraham comes back, and we don't hear again about Isaac until when? He gets his bride. What is the next part of the story after Jesus' resurrection? The church is born, which is called the bride. And Jesus is ready to receive his bride that the father, Abraham, has sent his servant, the Holy Spirit, to go get for him and to present to him. Now that's worth the price of admission, baby. That's some pretty amazing stuff way back here in Genesis. What does it mean? There were really people who did all those things. Did they know what they were foreshadowing? They did not. But someone else did. And he put this wonderful picture back here for the nation Israel and for us. So that we would look back and say, this has been God's plan all along. What a great picture that we get here. Kind of stepping outside of the Old Testament there a little bit, but wow. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, I don't know if I have anything better than that tonight. So if you want, that's probably it. He goes to Mount Moriah. He trusts his father for a suitable bride. I'm back to Isaac now as a man of faith. He prays with his wife for an heir for 20 years. Interesting, Abraham prays for 25, Isaac prays for 20. It didn't come easy for these patriarchs. We kind of think, gosh, Abraham must have had it real easy. Well, not so much. How about Isaac? Mm, He had a wonderful father, but he has to pray 20 years with his wife for an heir. He finally receives an answer in chapter 25, right? So they're... They're praying. Chapter 25, 19, this is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Isaac is 40. He marries Rebekah. Uh, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb, so she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she asked. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. When the time came to give birth, birth, Rebekah discovered that she did indeed have twins. Trust God, okay? The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau, which can also mean something like animal. Really? (laughs) Animal. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. Now, I don't know, and I don't want to get gross, but i got to imagine that's a little painful if you're Rebecca. <laughs> Here comes Harry Esau. And <laughs> there's a hand holding on to Esau's heel as they come out. Yeah. That just sounds painful. So they named him Jacob which means heel grabber. (laughs) Which means colloquially deceiver. That's a, that's a, he goes to kindergarten. Can you imagine writing your name in kindergarten? Mine was easy, Bill. What's your name? Deceiver. How do you spell that? (laughs) Can you imagine him writing that name? Deceiver. That's what they named him. Animal and deceiver. I'm glad Isaac and Rebecca weren't my parents. 
I got a kind of a traditional name. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. So they're praying for 20 years. God finally answers and said, there are two children in your womb, Rebecca. They are two nations, and they're going to, from the beginning, wrestle each other. And the older is going to serve the younger. And so then they, together, name the children, it seems, in accordance with that proclamation, that announcement that the Lord has made. What, is, what do we get from this story, Isaac, a man of faith, that obedience brings God's blessing? When you obey God, he blesses you. In the Old Testament, if you obey God, you're blessed. Oh, I do have one more good thing. Ephesians 1.3. Oh, it doesn't come off on the audio. I have to read it. Ephesians 1.3. Turn to Ephesians 1.3. I know that's in the New Testament. It's okay. The New Testament's good too. Ephesians 1.3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united, in, united with Christ. Now, some of you are English majors sitting out there. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. What is the tense of who has blessed us? Huh? It's not just past. Past perfect. Past perfect means there was an action in past time that has consequences, good or bad, in the present. So something happened back here in time, let's see from your direction, something happened back here in time and there are consequences in the future that come from that past thing. Obedience brings blessing to the people in the Old Testament. When do you get your blessings? You already have them because you have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus because of what he did. You right now today are living in his blessing. You already have it. You say, I wish the Lord would bless me. He goes, I'm not sure what more I could give you. <laughs> you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus right now. You have that. It's in your bank account. It's in your bank account. The problem is we don't believe it. Now, does that mean he's going to make me, you know, famous or rich? Or, no. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Okay, let's just think through, um, oh, I don't know, the fruit of the spirit. Love. Is there something that you struggle to love? Don't answer out loud. No hand raising. Here comes Thanksgiving. Anyone you struggle to love? What do you do? Write a check a spiritual check on the bank account. Who has love beyond measure? Jesus. What did he do? He took all of his spiritual blessings that he earned and he deposited them in a bank account and he gave you a checkbook. And he said, you may write a check on that anytime you want, anytime you need it. You write a check. It's good. It'll be cashed. There's resources here. You already have this. How about joy? Love, joy. Anybody struggle with joy from time to time? Who had joy beyond his companions? Jesus. He took his joy. He deposits it in a big bank account. Gives me the checkbook. And he says, you need joy? Write a check. Well, Lord, I don't feel joyful. It's not about you. 
It's about what I have that I will give you and put in you, not what will happen to you. I will live my life through you, and I have joy. Do you understand what I'm saying? In the Old Testament, it's obey and be blessed. In the New Testament, it's you're blessed, so obey. You're not obeying to get anything. It's already all been given to you. So what do you do? You obey because of how you've been blessed. Okay, gosh, wow, that was a fun little rabbit trail. <laughs> Obedience brings God's blessing, flips on its head in the New Testament. Old Testament, New Testament. Flips upside down. Point. Isaac is a man of faith. His life, uh, he was just, uh, oh, gosh, he starts with Abraham for a father, which was remarkable. He's led through, you know, I don't know, maybe he went through years of counseling after that, you know, after his father's <laughs> on him. <laughs> I would have been to a lot of counseling for that. Isaac seems to have come through it okay. Uh, he is also a man of faith. Like his father, he's a man of fear. Now, if I told you um, I went from here to, um, hmm, what's a, uh, Brownsville, okay? I went from here to Brownsville. You would know that I went to the, basically to the border between the United States and Mexico, right? You would know that because you know enough geography around here. You go, oh, Brownsville, I got it. I know what you're talking about. You don't know these places as well in the Old Testament. You don't know these city names. And so once you start looking at the city names, you begin to understand some other things that are happening. Here's what happens. Uh, a severe famine now struck the land as had happened before in Abraham's time. This is chapter 26. So Isaac moved to Gerar where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. Gerar, remember who lives over here? The Philistines. Gerar is a border town. Isaac goes right here. <laughs> he goes to Gerar, and he's looking over. He's looking into Gerar, and he's thinking, you know, I think I might go into Gerar. I might go ahead and go on down to Egypt. He is right. His toes are just about over the line. Why is he leaving? Famine. Where did he learn that? Daddy. Oh, shoot, really? Do our kids pick up our bad stuff as well as our good stuff? Crumb. He's right here. He's right on the border. What's he doing? He's running. He's running from the famine. What happens when fear kicks in? We run. And where does he run? Right to the border. Who meets him there at the border? God. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, right there on the border, and I'll be with you and bless you. And so the Lord talks to him down through verse 6. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. So he stays there. What happens? Daddy taught him another trick. When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebecca, he said, she's my sister. He was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought they will kill me to get her because she is so beautiful. But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebecca. <laughs> Probably a key. Immediately, Abimelech called for Isaac and exclaimed, She is obviously your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? Because I, would have, I was afraid someone would kill me to get her from me, Isaac replied. How could you do this to us? Abimelech exclaimed. One of my people might easily have taken your wife and slept with her, and you would have made us guilty of great sin. And then Abimelech issued a public proclamation. Anyone who touches this man's this man or his wife will be put to death. Here's what happens. Fear kicks in. Takes matters into its own hands and runs. 
God shows up and reminds him of his presence and his promises. But fear has not subsided. So I'll lie. If running doesn't work, maybe lying will. And a Gentile turns out to be more ethical, more morally upright than Isaac, our patriarch. Same thing happened to his father Abraham. His fear leads to being shamed by a Gentile. Lesson. Those who've been blessed by God should walk in patient obedience to his word. Remember that four-letter word we talked about last week? Wait, W-A-I-T. It's like a four-letter word. Those who've been blessed by God should walk in patient obedience to his word and wait on him. Question. Are there certain things you routinely pray about, but other things you just handle? Because you've got the solution for them? Isaac is also a man of peace. He's living in the Gerar Valley. God is blessing him for staying in Canaan. But the Gentiles from probably the Philistines come over and they cover and take his wells. He keeps moving from place to place to place. And in spite of conflict, Isaac pursues peace and moves on until God has given him room. It's a great verse in Romans 12, 18. As far as it's possible with you, live at peace with all men. First phrase is very important. As far as it's possible with you, live at peace with all men. That's what Isaac was doing right here. As far as it goes with him, he's living at peace. When they push him around and push him, then he moves on and he finds a new place until God gives him peace and rest. Great lesson. If you've not read Psalm 4, if it's been a while since you've read Psalm 4. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Psalm 4. It's through conflict and suffering that our souls are enlarged and made ready for more. Psalm 4, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call to you, O God, who declares me innocent. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lies? You can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. Many people will say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile on us, Lord. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. It's in conflict and suffering, usually, that we turn to the Lord quickest, depend on him the most, and it's in those times that he is enlarging our souls to be ready for more of him. Isaac is a man of faith, a man of fear, a man of peace. He's also a man with the covenant. And as we move into 26, King Abimelech comes, uh, or sorry, right before that, Isaac's servants dig some new wells. Uh, From there, Isaac moves to Beersheba, where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. 
I am the God of your father Abraham, he said. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will bless you. I will multiply your descendants and they will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Then Isaac built an altar there and worshipped the Lord. He set up his camp at that place and his servants dug another well. God confirms to Isaac that the Abrahamic covenant has now passed to him. Why, does, why is Isaac treated that way? Because of the favor and obedience. The obedience that Abraham showed, which was very incomplete, and the faith he showed, and God's favor. Never forget, God blesses, Abraham, God blesses Isaac because of Abraham. God blesses you and he blesses me because of Jesus. Not because of you or me, but because of Jesus' faithfulness. Because of the favor that Jesus has with God, he will bless me like he would bless Jesus. Such is the relationship we are in with our Lord Jesus in miniature, in a little picture. That's how it was with Abraham and Isaac. God confirms that the Abrahamic covenant has now passed to Isaac. Isaac becomes Israel's second patriarch. And through chapter 26, God continues to fulfill his covenant promises using Isaac as a conduit of blessing. And, reminder, he's told Isaac and Rebekah that the next covenant heir will be Jacob, not Esau. Chapter 25, remember the God speaks. Isaac has the covenant, and now he's told Isaac and Rebekah the next covenant heir will be the younger the older will serve the younger. Right? Remember that so far? Chapter 27. Isaac is also a man with a weakness. Isaac is 137 right now. Jacob and Esau are not 12 years old, as sometimes you see them portrayed in a Sunday school lesson. They are 77. They are grown men. <laughs> they are older men who ought to know better. Okay, so don't get this idea these are two 12-year-olds running around. These are two grown men. One day, when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son... And he probably said it like this, my son. <laughs> yes, father, Esau replied. I am an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. It'll be 43 more years, <laughs> but I don't know when I'm going to die. Isaac dies at 180. He is 137. He's got 43 years left. Huh. Hmm. You should kind of be scratching your head now. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son. Before I die. Anybody sensing some trouble coming? Who did God say was, right? How is this going to happen? The older was going to serve the younger. What is Isaac intent on doing? Blessing the older. 
But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. <laughs> Men, this is a true statement. They can hear through walls. They can, they can hear wherever you go. They know what you're thinking. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. And she instructs him in what to do. What does Jacob say? My brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him. And then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. Not, oh, mom, this is wrong. <laughs> oh, mom, we should trust God right now. Didn't God say? Haven't you always told me from birth how this was going to happen? No. <laughs> Deceiver says, I may get a curse instead of a blessing out of this deal. It's like when you speed. Do you know that right pedal, it controls your speed? Have you ever figured that out? When you get a speeding ticket, not that anyone in here gets a speeding ticket, but if you ever got a speeding ticket, if you were upset that you got the speeding ticket, you're Jacob. If you're upset that you broke the law, you would not be Jacob. <laughs> Jacob's just upset that he might get caught. He's not really upset with what he's doing. He's just upset that a curse may come on him instead of a blessing. His mother replies, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. And it did. Go get the goats for me. So Jacob goes out. Rebecca cooks them up just the way Isaac liked it. You know this story. When Esau catches the game and comes in, who cooks it? Esau. Not Rebecca. What must this family have been like? Esau catches some game. He does the cooking. He takes it to daddy. But Rebecca favored Jacob. Wow. Well, you know what happens. He puts on some hair, puts on some clothes so he smells like Esau. Uh, then she gives Jacob the delicious meal, including the freshly baked bread. Jacob takes the food to his father. My father, he said. Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? He imagined, uh, hello, father. <laughs> He's trying to sound like Esau. Can you sound like your brother or like your sister? That's kind of hard. Who are you? Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. Lie. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Lie. Now sit up and eat so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. Lie. <laughs> and now I'm lying with God. In other words, I'm using God to lie. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you are really Esau. What is Jacob, why, do, why does Jacob want to make sure of what's happening here? I mean, he is about to pass the whole deal on and he has his plan and he's going to make sure that the deceiver is not afoot. Come closer so I can touch you. I want to make sure you're really Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. Hmm, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he didn't recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are you really my son Esau, he asked. Yes, I am. <laughs> Lie. Then Isaac said, now, my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob takes it. Isaac eats it. He drinks it. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come a little closer and kiss me. Man, this guy is being really careful. <laughs> please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. 
So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced and he blessed his son. And then he says his blessing. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. I mean, if you were doing a play of this, I mean, Jacob no more than gets up and leaves the room and then in the other door, here comes Esau. I mean, this is like, whoa, they're right on the heels. Uh, He says, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, Who are you? Esau replied, it's your son, your firstborn son Esau. Isaac says, oh, no. What happens to Isaac? He begins to tremble uncontrollably. Why? He's just been found out by God. He was trying to trick God. God says, I'll have none of it. Then who just served me wild game? I've already eaten and I blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. Your brother was here and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. Wrong. It was not Esau's blessing. Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob. Deceiver. For now he has cheated me twice. Wrong. Do you remember the first time this happened? With a pot of stew. Remember chapter 25, verse 27? As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. One day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. Red animal. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. Thus he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. The hunter became the hunted, and Jacob was the better hunter he had undoubtedly seen Esau go out and hunt and how he returned. And this time when Esau returned, he had a big pot of stew cooking. Esau is famished. He comes in. Jacob's stirring the pot. What does Esau do? There's the trap. Esau gets in the trap. Trap springs, and Jacob walks away, the better hunter, because the hunted was the hunter. And Jacob, it turns out, was the better hunter who caught the animal in his trap. Esau the animal. Now when we get down to chapter 27, No wonder his name is Jacob, for now he's cheated me twice. No, he didn't. The first time he took your rights as a firstborn, now he's going to take the covenant right. First he took my rights as a firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master and have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I've guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine, What is left for me to give you, my son? Esau finally breaks down and weeps, and Isaac gives him a blessing. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. 
I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. The hunter rises up. But Rebekah hears about it. And she sends Jacob out of town. And you think, well, gosh, Esau probably could have wiped the floor with Jacob. And what, but how does, Rebecca says to Isaac, I'm, or, um, she says in verse 45, when he calms down, and she's talking to Jacob now, when he calms down and forgets what you've done to him, I will send for you to come back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? She knew that if they got into a fight, they would both die. So she sends Jacob back to her, back to her uh, homeland, back to her relatives, uh, to keep Jacob safe. And that is the last time Jacob ever sees his mother alive. The curse that she said falls on her fell on her. And he never sees her again. Isaac is a man of faith. Isaac is a man of fear. Isaac is a man of peace. Isaac is a man with a covenant. Isaac is a man with a weakness. He's blind. He no longer sees clearly. Many times in the scriptures when someone begins to go blind, there is a spiritual association as well as a physical association. You are meant, when you read this, to think, oh, this can't be good. He's blind. He no longer sees things Clearly, he's led by his stomach and by his senses, just like the son he loves. He's put his agenda ahead of God's agenda. He's willfully disobeying God's word. He's living for himself over living for God. He's living in the dark, trying to gratify his appetite. What a spiritual picture. A man who had everything. Isaac, a great beginning, a great faithful father, a great upbringing. But as life went on, He began living in the dark, living to gratify his appetite. Tim Elmore, some of you may know who Tim Elmore is, he says, we pursue our appetites because we hunger for pleasure. Wow. We pursue our appetites because we hunger for pleasure. Here is a man no longer being led or driven by faith, but by his stomach. No longer by what God's will or what he knows of God's word, but what he wants. And he is bound and determined that he is going to see his will through. And he gets so close But when he's found out, he shakes uncontrollably at being found out by God. He's exposed at what he's trying to do. Isaac is scheming. Remember, faith is living without scheming from last week? Isaac is scheming. He's no longer walking in faith. He's living according to his schemes. Isaac is our picture. If Abraham is a man who started late and finished great, Isaac is a picture of a man who didn't finish well. His family fractured. Fractured from parental favoritism and secrecy. Each is independent self-willed, and self-serving. They lacked solid spiritual leadership, mostly due to Isaac's passivity. His legacy, Abraham's legacy is amazing, Isaac's less so. 
The end of life reveals the ends of life, someone has said. What is the ends of Isaac's life? Filling or trying to fulfill my appetites. With Isaac, this didn't happen all at once. And here's his warning to us. No one is immune to the self-destructive slow leak of spiritual complacency. At some point in his adult life, perhaps before the age of 137, a slow leak had been occurring in Isaac's life. And the love that he once had for God might have grown a little less warm. And the obedience he gave to God might have become a little less obedient. The time he spent with God may have become a little less than it was years before. But he had plenty of stuff. Life was good. Life was comfortable. And the slow leak of spiritual complacency is just going on right in his tires. This is a man, a picture of a man who didn't finish well. Abraham is a wonderful model. Isaac is a wonderful warning. We get them back to back here in the very first part of the Bible. God meaning to tell us, here's a great example. Watch out. Watch out. Man who didn't finish well. Remember, great beginnings don't guarantee great endings. Slow leaks of spiritual decline. Are there any open gates into your soul? Inroads rooted in a lack of self-control? Proverbs chapter 25 says this. 25, 28. 28. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. If a city has broken down walls, can it stop enemies? It cannot. The enemies come and go at their pleasure. You cannot stop it without the wall of self-control. Some of you say, well, I don't have that problem. Okay, you're better than me. And maybe that's true. How about people-pleasing? Some people call it popularity. Anybody move to do something because of another person's or another group's opinion of you? Popularity. Pornography is so huge these days. And the stigma that used to be attached to it because you had to stop in at the triple X store now is available on the internet. It's a horrible, horrible thing. How about prestige? Is that an open gate into your soul? If there's a way to grow or enhance your prestige... Do the ends justify the means? How about comfort? Any open gates into your soul in the area of comfort? That if the Lord said, I want to put you in a new place in the world, that you would say, not going? I want you to go meet your neighbor, not going. How about security? We should be uh, prudent financial investors. But what if the Dow goes to zero tomorrow? Do you jump off a bridge? Because you say, oh my gosh, that's where all my security was. Or do you say, my God knows what he's doing and he will take care of me. I'm not saying be foolish. I am saying, 
Are there any open roads into your soul that are rooted in lack of self-control? When Isaac ran to Gerar because of the famine, who showed up? God. What did God remind him of? His presence and his promises. When you're tempted to run to Gerar, what do you instead, self-control, what do you instead need to do? Remind yourself of God's presence and God's promises. Hebrews chapter 13. Jesus says, I will probably not ever leave you or forsake you. (laughs) What does he say? I will never leave you or forsake you. Presence. Promises. We just talked about one in Ephesians 1.3. What promises might you need that he has? That he would delight in giving you? We've got to continue to learn gratifying fleshly appetites will never satisfy us. How about worry? Anybody here prone to worry? I know not much. Just from time to time. And just over really important things. Anybody in here worry? What's the open gate into your soul? What are you worried about? Has God shrunk? Has he run away? Has he abandoned you because you're not pleasing him anymore? Why do we worry? Is it your first thought? Yes, it's mine. It's automatic. I don't even have to think about worrying. I'm there. What do I have to do? Self-control. Remind myself. Hebrews 13. You said you would never leave me or forsake me, including this time right now. And what promises do I need to know from you? Remembering that he sees more than I see, he knows more than I know, and he's more powerful than I can possibly imagine. In fact, one of the lessons that the Israelites were supposed to learn from Genesis 1 through 11 is he moved heaven and earth for them. Gratifying fleshly appetites will never satisfy us. Other slow leaks, do you have an independent spirit? Are you resistant to authority? Are you resistant to counsel? Are you putting your agenda ahead of God's? Stopping the leaks now, you got to close the open gates. If there's open gates, and we all have them, then it means there's yet another area where I need to look to Jesus more. And first, (laughs) firster and morer. I need to look to Jesus first and most for my satisfaction. Hebrews 10.25 reminds me I am not to forsake meeting with other Christians. I need to avoid isolation. Have you ever noticed, well, (laughs) don't answer this. When do people, Ted has a saying, I'll start with that. Ted has a saying, nothing good happens after midnight. That is a true statement. (laughs) And I don't care if you're out on the road, driving around Fort Worth, looking for trouble, or you're just driving around looking, you're looking for trouble. can happen in our own homes when we're by ourselves and everyone else is, you name it. In bed, and we're up by ourselves looking for trouble. You're going to find it. It's not hard to find trouble, whether it's on television, the internet, I don't care where. It's not hard to find it. But when you get more isolated, finding trouble becomes easier than it is when you're with others. Make your agenda pursuing God's agenda for your life. What if we had a not-my-will-but-thy-will attitude? I think somebody had that. 
I think those are some of those red words. Can you imagine that? How would your life be different tomorrow if you said, Lord, not my will, but thy will tomorrow? What would change? Anything? Make your agenda pursuing God's agenda for your life and don't neglect the fundamentals. Worship, Bible study, prayer, serving others, etc. The people who, who come and talk to me and the other pastors on the staff have the same open gates that you and I have. But they've allowed themselves or they've rationalized or justified why it's okay to be isolated. Their agenda is no longer God's agenda. And most of them have their church attendance, participation in a home group, etc. is all waned. Guess what? They crash into a wall. I could be there tomorrow. I'm not immune to this. Neither are you. Close the open gates by fixing your eyes on Jesus and asking his spirit to continue to work in you. Don't get isolated. Continue to go back to making your agenda God's agenda. Don't neglect the fundamentals. Stop the leaks now. Wherever they are, I hope you don't have any. Stop them now. And so, God passes the covenant inheritance from Abraham to Isaac. Next stop, Jacob. Isaac drifts off the scene. The focus shifts to Jacob, who is at the moment on the run for his life from his brother Esau. Great story of Jacob, which we will talk about next week. So for next week, read the life of Jacob, chapters 28 through 35. That'll finish off the whatever became of Isaac. Whatever became of Isaac, kind of Isaac just sort of drifts off and it becomes Jacob's story through chapter 35. And I promise you, like this week, hopefully like last week, you're going to find out finally the truth about Jacob. And you're going to say, oh my goodness, it's going to be fun. Come on back. Uh, We'll see what the scriptures have to teach us. Let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us. I look at uh, like a man like Isaac, and I think uh, in spite of all of those things, uh, you continue to be kind and gracious and loving to him. And that gives me hope and encouragement that uh, as we prayed in our pastoral prayer time this morning, um, for those regrets uh, from last week or from last month, things, uh, people I should have talked to and I I didn't, uh, or people that the way I talked to them, um, I I shouldn't have done, I shouldn't have done it that way. Uh, Thank you for your kindness and your, your graciousness to me, your long suffering with me and how you continue to work in me to make me more like Jesus so many times in spite of myself, uh, but you've never left me. You're always at work and I'm grateful for that. Thank you for my friends, for my brothers and sisters. I pray for your hand of favor uh, to rest heavily and heartily on them this week and that this would be the best spiritual week they've had yet. And we ask you for this, please, and pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen.